Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. This week we have a very controversial topic. So I really hope people don't get offended, but we are going to be covering the history of Scooby-Doo. What? Okay, I guess this will only be controversial depending on what your favorite iteration of Scooby-Doo is. For me, it will always be Scooby-Doo Where Are You, the OG show, but others may prefer the Scooby-Doo show or a pup named Scooby-Doo or some other incarnation, which I will allow, but if you tell me that Scooby-Doo and Scrabby-Doo was your favorite of the bunch, get the fuck out. Just leave right now. Seriously, I will wait. Wow, this is intense. (laughs) I told you, this is going to be controversial. Um, But as a huge fan of the show, I literally used to stay home sick, and I put sick in quotes, uh, from school just to watch this growing up. Like, if it was a rainy, dreary day, I would be like, no, not going to school today. And because my mom was a single mom who had to go to work, she just said, whatever, fine. And I would stay home and watch Scooby-Doo all morning, and then The Price is Right would come on, and then, yeah. (laughs) Then the fun was over. Then the fun was over. It really was, because then, like, all the soap operas came on, and I didn't get into that shit. Um, But, yeah, this was, like, a huge part of my childhood growing up. I absolutely loved Scooby-Doo and it it really helped foster my love of horror. But as a huge fan of the show, I've thought long and hard about the obvious drug references in the show. Uh, you know how Scooby snacks were a reference for drugs what? and Shaggy and Scoob always having the munchies. What? I know. It's it's shocking. This is a children's show. Um, or the fact that Daphne and Freddy always partnered up together while the more nerdy Velma always got sent off with Shaggy and Scooby. Hmm. Was there any sort of innuendo there or am I reading too much into that? I think that even as a child, I recognized that there was something going on. I wouldn't categorize it as saying that I knew logically, oh, they're banging. Like (laughs) that was my thought in a child form. Yeah, I we will we will cover that. But did you know that the origins of Scooby-Doo are actually related to Robert Kennedy's death? We're going to get into a lot of things, including crazy fan theories, show trivia, and probably more than you ever wanted to know about Scooby-Doo. But this show holds a special place in my heart. It was horror light and helped foster <laughs> my love of all things horror. And I know it did that for many of you, too, when you were kids. Uh, Spencer has been practicing his Scooby and Shaggy impersonations mm. all week. Nice. So he will be doing the voices as needed. So let's get into this. Nice. Are you going to tell me that Scooby-Doo and Scooby Snacks were like in like in the movie Slacker, like Richard Linklater has the one character say that like it was to teach children about how to raise prices and be part of a commodity? And are we going to get like crazy like conspiracy theory with this? No, we won't get that far. Okay. We'll lay it on me anyway. Also, I didn't read any conspiracy theories like that that related to actual life. It was all, all the theories I read were related to the show. Lay it on me. All right. So in case you've been living under a rock for your entire life and you don't know what Scooby-Doo is, it's a cartoon show about four teenagers, Fred Jones, Daphne Blake, Velma Dinkley, and Shaggy Rogers and their talking great Dane named Scooby-Doo, who solve mysteries involving supposedly supernatural creatures through a series of antics and missteps. That's the first time I've ever heard their full names. Honestly, I'm trying to remember when the last names came into play. It might have been during the creation of a pup named Scooby-Doo, but it probably came way before that. But I agree wholeheartedly that like when Shaggy came, or not Shaggy, Scrappy came along, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I never knew they had last names. That's kind of already blowing my mind. That would be a great trivia question. (laughs) The first episode of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, titled What a Night for a Night, debuted on CBS Saturday morning, September 13th, 1969. Wow. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, ran for two seasons and then ended in 1970. Since then, there have been 
13 other variations of the animated series, with the newest one being Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, which started in 2019. I would like to point out that the original title, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, you would think would have a question mark at the end. Right. But it does not. It has an exclamation point. Don't even get me started on that. For real? <laughs> it does. It really does. I don't understand it either why there's an exclamation point. Huh. But it's clearly a question. Um, there are also currently, currently, there's, I think, some in the works, 36 animated direct-to-video films, one animated theatrical film, two live-action theatrical films, two live-action television films, and one live-action direct-to-video film. Wow. Not to mention all the television specials, television shorts, web shorts, stage shows. The list goes on and on. Jesus. It's a little too much. I mean, I love Scooby-Doo, but like... But I agree. I was a fan of the original originals. Those were always my favorites. And For yeah, sure. I did not know all those ex- iterations existed. Holy shit. All right. So I did mention in the intro that the creation of Scooby-Doo has something to do with the assassination of Robert Kennedy. And you were probably like, what the fuck? Yep. According to an article from The Conversation written by Kevin Sandler, who is also the author of an upcoming book about Scooby-Doo titled simply Scooby-Doo, the creation of Scooby-Doo was, quote, no happy accident, end quote, which he discusses further in his book, But basically, here's the Cliff Notes version of how Scooby-Doo was created. For years, the animation studio Hanna-Barbera had created slapstick comedy cartoons like Tom and Jerry in the 1940s and 50s. I did not realize that cartoon started in the 40s, by the way. Um, As well as The Yogi Bear Show and The Flintstones. But by the 1960s, the most popular cartoons were those that capitalized on the secret agent craze, the space race, and the popularity of superheroes. And what would serve as a turning point in television animation, the three broadcast networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC, launched nine new action-adventure cartoons on Saturday morning in the fall of 1966. In particular, Hanna-Barbera's Space Ghost and Dino Boy and Filmation's The New Adventures of Superman. They were hits with children. These and other action-adventure series featured a non-stop action and violence, with the heroes working to defeat and even kill a menace or monster by any means necessary. So, for the 1967-68 Saturday morning lineup, Hanna-Barbera supplied the networks with six new action-adventure cartoons, including The Herculoids and Birdman and the Galaxy Trio. You remember those, Mindy? Uh, well, Birdman, I think, has been reborn in a different iterations. I'm pretty sure Comedy Central did something with that. But not the original, no. I had no idea. And same thing with Space Ghost. I had no idea that was a real show originally. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I've only I mean, seen Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which is a very different thing. It's definitely a very different <laughs> thing. But do you remember the USA Cartoon Express that used to play? Um, I guess it was USA. Was it... That, was that the name of the television network? USA Network? I think it was a cable network, yeah. But like Saturday mornings, they just had like this... It was like channel... Mega marathon of yeah. just like six hours of cartoon shows. And it was local TV. It wasn't USA Networks at the time. It was. I used to remember watching it on local TV, I thought. I don't know. I think it was part of cable. I don't know. I don't r- really remember. I we just, had cable at the time, so I don't know either way. <laughs> I, th- I think it was cable. I don't think it was available to everyone, but... Um, yeah, they would just play all these, like on, it was like Captain Caveman and Josie and the Pussycats and um I'll be honest, Space I watched Ghost. the Smurfs when I was little on Saturday mornings and that was part of the I stretch. I did too. That was, that was a whole other thing though. There, oh, I okay. think this I think this is what filled in the time after like the regular Saturday morning cartoons ended oh. until like the nighttime shows came on. Huh. It was like all afternoon long, but... Um, Yeah, so I think these actually were a part of that. Um, But previous lighthearted cartoons with funny human and animal hijinks were were replaced by cartoons with terror, peril, jeopardy, and child endangerment. Mm. So what's the problem? (laughs) I mean, it sounds right up our alley. Right? Uh, The networks had instructed its cartoon suppliers to turn out more of the same. In fact, they wanted to double down and push the limits of cartoon violence in the 1960s, 
even more based on the theory, which proved to be correct, that the more horror, the higher the Saturday morning ratings. Duh. Um, (laughs) Such horror generally took the form of fantasy violence, what Joe Barbera called, quote, out of this world hard action, end quote. The studio churned out these grim series, and as Barbera explained, it was not out of choice. It's the only thing that they could do to sell to the networks, and they had to stay in business. Because of the oversaturation of action-adventure cartoons on Saturday morning, the nonprofit corporation National Association for Better Broadcasting declared that year's children's television programming in March of 1968 to be the worst in the history of TV. Cultural anxieties about the effects of media violence on children had increased significantly after March 1968. Concurrent with television coverage of the Vietnam War, student protests, and riots incited by the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Historian Charles Kaiser wrote, quote, For the first time since their invention, television pictures made the possibility of anarchy in America feel real end quote, which could not be more relevant to what's going on today. Um, But it was the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in June of 1968 that would exile action-adventure cartoons from the Saturday morning lineup for nearly a decade. Kennedy's role as a father to 11, yes, 11 children, I had no idea he had that many children, Um, but as a father to 11 children, um, that part of him became intertwined with his political identity, and he had long championed causes that helped children. Alongside his commitment to ending child hunger and poverty, he had, as the attorney general, worked with the Federal Communications Commission to improve the vast wasteland of children's television programming. Huh. Media studies scholar Heather Hendershot explained that even those critical of Kennedy's liberal causes, (laughs) you know, like helping children. (laughs) What a liberal jerk. (laughs) Such a radical. Um, But even those critical of his liberal causes, they supported his efforts and censoring television violence in Kennedy's name for the good of the children was like a tribute to Kennedy. And in the words of the late Helen Lovejoy from The Simpsons, Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? (laughs) I mean, that says it all. That says it all. I can just hear, like, multiple women in the 60s, like, watching these action-adventure cartoons, like, won't somebody please think of the children? Totally right. (laughs) While they faint. (laughs) All right. Um, Immediately, I I thought of that line from The Simpsons when I read that. I don't know why. Civics groups like the National Parent Teacher Association, which had been condemning violent cartoons at its last three conventions. Sounds like a fun afternoon out. Uh, (laughs) They became emboldened. The editors of McCall's magazine, a popular women's magazine that Mindy is a huge fan of. Yeah. No, it still exists. It does still exist. I don't don't know if I've ever read one single issue, Um, but we know you love it, Mindy. Right. No, I just recognized it because the name, like, (laughs) I can't believe it's still around. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a subscription. (laughs) So that you, you're up on all your violent cartoons. She gets Twitter notifications from them. <laughs> from McCall's, yeah. It's like, you know, crocheting patterns. And j- no, I don't know. I've never read McCall's. It probably is what it is. Crochet pattern. Not that there's anything wrong with crocheting. No. We are not making fun of crocheting at all. We're just making fun of women. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Who like to do stupid things like crochet. No, I'm <laughs> totally kidding. I'm just jealous because I don't know how to crochet. <laughs> my grandmother was a master at it, and my mom tried it and was like, yep, nope. Not oh, my happening. God. I tried to have one of my friends teach me how to do it, and epic fail. So good on you, McCall's. <laughs> Anyways, 
Uh, the editors of McCall's, a popular women's magazine, provided steps for readers to pressure the broadcast networks to discontinue violent programming. Whoa. And a Christian Science Monitor report in July of that year was widely circulated, and it found 162 acts of violence or threats of violence on one Saturday morning alone. One, only 162? I know. I wonder what the number would be now. I don't want to know, honestly. <laughs> um, the networks announced that they would be turning away from science fiction action and pivoting toward comedy for its cartoon programming. All of this paved the way for the creation of a softer, gentler, animated hero. He's been working on that for four months, everyone. <laughs> Four hours is more like it. <laughs> yeah, more like it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good, yeah. You know, when we don't have Dave McRae. Right, exactly. We have Spencer. He sounds like him. Yeah, I think. It's not bad, not bad. I'll practice. <laughs> However, the premiere of the 1968-69 Saturday morning season was just around the corner. Wouldn't you know it? Many episodes of the new action-adventure series were still in various stages of production. Animation was a lengthy process. Still is. Still is. I uh, haven't found too many shortcuts for that. Uh, but it took anywhere from four to six months to go from idea to actual airing. And ABC, CBS, and NBC stood to lose millions of dollars in licensing fees and advertising revenue, and it's all about the money. Money, money. Um, by canceling a series before it even aired or before it finished its contracted run. Wow. So Scooby-Doo actually started as a show about five teenagers. So picture this. Just, you know, get get Daphne, Freddy, Shaggy, Scoop, get all that out of your head. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch this idea to you. Okay. <laughs> All right, we got these five teenagers. Jeff, Mike, Kelly, Linda, and then Linda's brother, W.W., along with their bongo-playing dog named Too Much. What? As, as in, I've eaten too much food. And they collectively form a band called, get this, Mysteries Five. What? Which was also going to be the name of the show. When the Mysteries Five were not performing at gigs... They were out solving spooky mysteries involving ghosts, zombies, and other supernatural creatures. The dog, let's give me a sheepdog. And then. <laughs> How does it, okay, just keep going. That was, all right, so that was the original idea for Scooby-Doo. Then the show was renamed Who's Scared? <laughs> uh-huh. Hopefully for, um, you know, because it was the 60s for political correctness purposes because they didn't want to offend anyone with a stutter, they changed the name, but that's probably not why they changed it. Um, but then on a red-eye flight to one of the development meetings for the show, Fred Silverman, who actually Fred from Scooby-Doo was named after him. I was going to ask. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, who at the time, he was the executive for daytime programming at CBS. So he was on this red-eye flight and he was inspired by Frank Sinatra's scat. Doobie, doobie, doo. Shut up. At the end of the song, Strangers in the Night. I apologize for my singing, people. That's, um, that's on tune. It was good. Oh, thank you. Um, but he decided to rename the dog Scooby-Doo and then retitled the show Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Exclamation point, not question mark. <laughs> I swear I always thought there was a question mark at the end. Because like now that I think back. We're smart and we know how to, we know grammar. I'm thinking grammar. We know grammar good. Yeah. <laughs> and punctuation. It's right. not even grammar. It's punctuation. <laughs> so smart us, we. Um. <laughs> Too much caffeine. All right. But anyways, the revised show was represented to CBS executives who approved it for production. It still had action and adventures, but the characters were never in any real danger. There were no superheroes saving the world from aliens and monsters. Instead, it was just a gang of goofy kids and their dog driving around in a groovy van solving mysteries, man. Nice. 
All right, so now that we got all the educational history stuff out of the way, let's talk about drugs and sex. Let's do it. All right. Let's talk about the drug references in Scooby-Doo first. I want to start with a quote from Donald Clark from the Irish Times. Quote, voiced by popular DJ Casey Kasem, Shaggy spoke in like the unmistakable patois of a dope fiend man and moved with the lobotomized languor that suggested he should stay away from heavy machinery. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. I would have just said he seemed high. I don't think he seemed oh, lobotomized. I love that quote so much. Moved with a lobotomized languor that suggested he should stay away from heavy machinery. Wow. That's great writing. I mean, it's true. It is true. Except for the lobotomized part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Both, and this is still part of the quote here. Both he and Scooby, apparently a great Dane, were always hungry. It's almost as if they were in the grip of something the uninformed action for children's television wouldn't balk at hearing described as the munchies, end quote. So the number one fan theory surrounding Scooby-Doo, according to HowStuffWorks.com, is that Shaggy and Scooby represent stoners, which is why they constantly have the munchies while driving around in a flower power van. According to the rumor, this was a deliberate in-joke by the animators that flew over the heads of the network brass. Hmm. Well, apparently this is false. According to lead character designer Iwao Takamoto, he says, quote, The creative team never brought that into play in our thinking about this show. It wasn't until much later that this sort of rumor began to surface. Besides, one of the key creative players in the development of Scooby-Doo was a network executive, which means that he would have had to have been in on the joke himself or uncharacteristically unaware. So maybe it was a subconscious thing among the animators and, and character creators? Well, I... Put a pin in that. I okay. literally get to that in my next okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> my next part here. Heather North, who is the voice of Daphne, also insisted that there were never any drug innuendos in the show, like purposely. My thoughts, this was the 60s, and I think it may not have been a conscious decision to include drug references, but maybe it was just such a part of the times that they tried to model the characters off of what was popular back then and accidentally made Shaggy and Scooby potheads? I mean, his the way Shaggy walks, I mean, he's definitely wearing flared pants, you know, which from the 60s and 70s, that would be. But he also, um, I think it had to have been subconscious, no matter what they say, because... Do flared pants make you a stoner? No. <laughs> yes. I don't, yeah, actually. But his clothes, were, I remember his clothes always being like rumpled kind of like he wasn't like Fred was very clean lined and there's they're sort of baggy that's because Fred was a coke addict and <laughs> they tend to be a little more preppy and straight laced looking <laughs> what was uh, Daphne's vice uh sex speed oh that's why she's so skinny and Velma Velma June she was on Adderall, like, a lot of it. That's why she was like, let's get to the bottom of things. Yes, guys. yes, yes. That's why she was so focused on solving the mystery. Um, now, obviously, we're being totally <laughs> facetious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so apparently this was not intentional. Okay. So besides Shaggy looking kind of like the stereotypical hippie stoner and Shaggy and Scooby's constant obsession with snacks and munchies, the name Scooby Dooby Doo. I mean, come on. Dooby is literally another name for a joint. Also, Shaggy and Scooby always seem to be the most paranoid of the bunch. Mm -hmm. That's true. I hadn't thought about that, actually. Also, the things that Shaggy and Scooby eat are pretty unusual, too. Here are some of the actual things that Shaggy and Scooby have eaten in the show. Thank you, because I've had a question about this with Shaggy, like, since I was a kid. So go ahead. Well, besides the fact that he eats dog treats. Right. Yes. Eat, Thank you very much. That he eats Scooby snacks. Yeah, I'm not even going to get to that right now. Okay. But um, triple decker sardine and marshmallow fudge sandwich. Sounds good. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what you had for breakfast today, Spencer. Sardine and, oh, uh, liverwurst sandwich a la mode with strawberry ice cream. Dude, seriously? And a pot pie with pizza crust, anchovies, pepperoni, cherries, and a super thick 
chocolate sauce. So they're either pregnant or they're super high. <laughs> I'm going to go with the latter. Uh, yeah, that is like total stoner food right there. I mean, yeah. that's like beyond stoner food right there. I've eaten some like weird things when I've been high before, but not like, like that. Chocolate mixed with fish? No. no. Or liverwurst mixed with strawberry jam? No. Strawberry ice cream? Yeah, no. Strawberry ice cream. Strawberry anything, really. <laughs> No, a strawberry jam. Yeah, that would actually be kind of nice. But strawberry ice cream, disgusting. No, that crosses a line. It's so much. Ugh. Um, the, yeah, and as you said, uh, the Scooby snacks. You know, there are rumors that they were actually pop brownies, or some sort of edible, not necessarily dog treats. I mean, they do make dog treats now. I probably not back in the '60s that are like human grade consumption, and there's dog bakeries that make all sorts of like natural vegan dog treats that I'm like those actually look pretty good yeah but that wasn't around when this show came out no it was not um so yeah I don't know I always thought that was weird too like shaggy eating dog treats I was like all right whatever I think it's also funny that this the snacks were literally named after their dog or (laughs) vice versa did they name their dog after the snacks that he likes I don't know. They used to actually sell cookies called Scooby Snacks like in that same box that I used to buy like long time ago. Do you remember Yeah, that? I think I've seen those. All right. <laughs> now, let's talk about how trippy the new Scooby-Doo movies from 1972 are. Mindy, I hope you have watched some of these at least so you understand just like how insane these like this second this was the second generation of the tv show so this came out after scooby-doo where are you um it was the the new scooby-doo movies they were one hour episodes where a real or fictitious guest star helped scooby and the gang solve mysteries guests included laurel and hardy the famous comedy duel, who in real life were both dead way long before. I was going to say. The episode actually. I remember them appearing. <laughs> right? But yeah, okay. They're dead um, on other occasions. But that's how they could come back as cartoons. Right? I guess, yeah. I just, it just, just the combination of the people that they chose to be in the new Scooby-Doo movies. I'm like, what drug were the writers taking? Like, how did they even come up with this idea. Um, so other guests were Sonny and Cher, yeah. Don Knotts, Josie and the Pussycats, Batman and Robin, Jonathan Winters, the Harlem Globetrotters, Phyllis Diller, Jeannie from I Dream of Jeannie, Sandy Duncan, the Three Stooges, and the Adams Family. I remember some of those, but I don't remember like Sandy Duncan. Or- <laughs> right? Like, it's just so random. I guess, although she was probably pretty popular back in the day, like in 1972 when they made this, but it's just Sandy Duncan meets Scooby-Doo in Mystery Inc. Like, wh- yeah, I just, I'm like so curious who was smoking what when the second incarnation of the show was created. It's just fascinating. And oh, Fun fact, because you know how much I like to throw my trivia in here. Yeah. Mark Hamill made his first ever foray into voice acting with his work on this series. Awesome. Yes. Who did he play? He played just a bunch of random voices. I, right. I looked it up. I was like, oh, that would be so weird if he played like Sonny from Sonny and Cher or something like that. He played Sandy Duncan. He, <laughs> hey, he might have. <laughs> hey, he's a great voice actor now for, for animation, so... He hey, is. Gotta get your start somewhere. And he's actually been a voice actor for a lot of the newer Scooby-Doo cartoons mm-hmm. from like the 2000s and stuff. Keeping, you know, keeping on the whole drug thing. The first live action Scooby-Doo movie, which if you have not seen this, I'm sorry. I really like this movie. I watched it the first time as like a joke, expecting to absolutely hate it and just being like, whatever, I'm going to make fun of the movie the whole time. I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it was great. I don't know. And I liked it so much, I bought the movie. I think one of the things I really, really liked about it was that the movie really played up all of the drug reference rumors and made a ton of jokes about it. So 
If you've not seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. Matthew Lillard plays Shaggy, and he is... He's pretty great. So great. Oh, my God. Like, the voice, he nails it. The the mannerisms, the everything about it, his movements, just the delivery. Yeah. He is Shaggy, and he, he's just so wonderful, like, anyways, but... Like, seeing him play Shaggy just made me love him even more. Freddie Prinze Jr. is Freddie. Sarah Michelle Gellar is Daphne. And Linda Cardellini is Velma. Fred and Daphne did end up getting married and having kids, and at least according to the live-action version in real life. So, might be the something The live-action version? You mean just their real lives? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off-screen in real life. Those actors is what I meant. But it's a great cast and it's a fun movie. And yeah. it's, it's not like, I don't know. I just, I was expecting it to be just absolute like horse shit. And it really surprised me. And then I even um, made Spencer watch it. Yeah, I actually, I think I had avoided it for years because I thought it was going to be dumb. Uh, but yeah, I loved it. <laughs> it was fun. I kind of want to watch it again. I've not seen the the second one. See, I thought we did, but maybe not. Uh, I don't know. No. I've not. I know that. I think I've we've only watched it once together, and I don't think we've watched it since then. But there's a scene where Shaggy meets a pretty blonde flower child looking girl on a plane named Mary Jane, played by Isla Fisher. Aww. And when she tells Shaggy her name, he says, Like, that's my favorite name. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good, Spencer. That was a take one. That was a take one. <laughs> All right. You want to do it again? Like, that's my favorite name. That was worse. <laughs> we'll go with take one. Okay. I love Isla Fisher. Yes, I do too. She's so cute. Um, And fucking funny as hell. And she's hilarious. Yes, hilarious and adorable. Um, So yeah, that scene right away is just like total obvious. Like they're making fun of the whole like drug reference. And then in another scene, Shaggy and Scooby are in the mystery machine grilling some munchies. Smoke's coming out of the top of the van <gasps> and the song Pass the Duchy on the left hand side is playing. And Shaggy even says This is a cold read, people. This is Primo. Talk about toasted. <laughs> Good job. Alright. Um referring to the food, of course. Sure. Um, then they both start to panic when detectives bang on the door of the van, which would be a typical reaction that you would have if you were actually hot boxing in the back of a van. But bottom line is, if this was not intentional, if the original creators of the show back in the day did not intend to make the Mystery Inc. gang be, uh, you know, drug-smoking hippies, no one in the show who isn't ever involved in it in any way can look back at it now and say they can't understand why everyone who watches the show thinks that all the characters are high as fuck. <laughs> well, I only thought that Shaggy and Scoob were high. I kind of didn't really think the others were. I mean, I guess I just assumed they all kind of were in a way or whatever. I don't know. I mean, they all saw some pretty crazy shit. I mean, we've been watching some recent episodes and every episode is just like trippy is hell. I mean, like the the shit that goes on and the, the things that these characters are like able to do is just it's more like they're all just on acid, kind of. It's a cartoon. No, <laughs> it's real. They're my friends. All right, let's move on to the sexual innuendos what? of Scooby Doo. <laughs> Turn down the lights. Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> Put the music on. We're about to get sexy over here. With Scooby Doo. Fred and Daphne are about to go explore some shit. You know what they say if the mystery machines are rocking, don't come a knocking. <laughs> Nothing turns me on more than hearing Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> So in almost every single episode, you hear Fred say something like, let's split up, gang. Velma, you go at Shaggy and Scooby and search the campground, cemetery, cabin, whatever. And insert creepy place here. Right. Daphne and I will go upstairs to see if we can find any clues. I got a clue. I mean, <laughs> I got a clue and it's in my pants. <laughs> let's see if you can find it, Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, we're all thinking it, right? Like, you, 
like, as I said, even as a kid, I may not have thought that, like, Daphne and Fred were going to go have sex, but I was definitely like, okay, Freddie and Daphne are dating, or they're going to go make out, or something like that, and then when I was a little bit older, I was like, all right, they're bumping uglies while Velma is stuck with the stoners, for sure, but according to creators and show writers, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, the actual reason we never see Freddie or Daphne when the gang splits up is that they found writing for Fred and Daphne, the more straight-laced characters, in contrast to the more comedic other three characters, a bit boring. Oh. Therefore, they would always find an excuse to split up the gang so that they could focus on writing gags for Shaggy, Scooby, and Velma and give them even more screen time. Oh, I guess that kind of makes sense, actually. It makes sense, but... I mean, no one who's watching the show is thinking that. Yeah, it's funny that like it's these these other theories have taken hold without any prompting. Exactly. Well, it's just because people have dirty minds, which is great. Um, so yeah, and besides Freddie and Daphne always going off together, there's only one other sexual reference that I found that other people have caught. This is not something I found because there is no way I would ever have been able to notice this. But in the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde episode from season two, episode one, titled Nowhere to Hide. Get it? Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) I'll explain it to you later. Thanks. All right. Someone saw a book on a shelf in the background of one of the scenes. And if you freeze frame it and zoom in, on the spine of the book, it says Marquis de Sade. <laughs> hmm. For real? For real. All right. Let's move on to some fan theories. I had mm. never heard any of the following fan theories before. I honestly have no idea how people came up with these ideas or why people thought that they might even be true. Okay. They're definitely really far out there. I don't believe a single one of them. <laughs> but they are entertaining for sure. So here are just a few of some of the best fan theories. First one, the gang is on the run. There is a theory saying that since the first Scooby-Doo cartoon started in the late 1960s and it was set during the Vietnam War, because the army was drafting teens at the time, the gang was forced to run away from home and relocate to Canada to avoid being drafted and going to war, which explains why in every episode they're always driving their van with no clear destination. Shaggy is your typical hippie with the case of the munchies. Being against the war, he decided to take his dog, Scooby, on a road trip in protest. Fred Jones is a military school dropout whose draft number was up, making him AWOL. Daphne is obviously Fred's high school crush who can't bear the thought of Fred leaving and possibly getting killed in the war, so she joins the gang to be with Fred. And Velma is an anti-war activist who decides to join the gang on the road trip. Huh. Never thought about that. I never thought about that either. But also, I was watching this in the 80s, way after the Vietnam War ended. So why would I? Next one. Scooby-Doo is a USSR experiment. Oh, my God. Did you know this? (laughs) The theory suggests that in the Scooby-Doo universe, the Soviets launched an experimental program to breed dogs with greatly enhanced intelligence specifically for space travel. This Reddit user explains, the theory then is that Scooby started his life as a subject in the space agency's breeding program, but escaped when one of the scientists bonded with him as a puppy and decided to take him to America when he defected. Then, maybe Scooby-Doo ran away when his original owner died of old age, leading him to being adopted by his future best friend, Shaggy, who took Scooby with him when he joined Fred, Velma, and Daphne in their meandering travels through the back roads of America in Fred's beloved van. Thus, the show's title, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, Mm. implies that the CIA wanted to find Scooby and figure out how the Soviets managed to make an English-speaking superdog. Well, to be fair, he's not the best at speaking English. (laughs) Yes, that's what we should be focusing on. So, I don't know how smart you'd say he was. Worst English ever. (gasps) Also... Hey, I have a dog that can speak. 
your dog doesn't speak that great. He doesn't know how to pronounce R's. <laughs> Do you want me to be impressed? No, he only no, he speaks only in R's. he speaks in R's. Oh, yeah. Um, Ruh-roh. <laughs> but do, do any of the people that they come across, are they ever, do they ever say, you have a talking dog, oh my God? No. No. No, it's only, it's only, I think, Shaggy and the gang that can hear Scooby. And I hear is in quotes because they're all high as fuck. <laughs> all right, I'm going to have to go back. I'm pretty sure him. other people do hear him talk, but not directly, so. though. I mean, you know what? Honestly, I don't pay attention to who can hear him and who can't. But there, because there's times where other people are around and he just like whimpers or barks or makes noises. Or he'll make a throw in a little comment and Shay will be like, that's right, Scoob. And then they'll keep moving. So it's not like he really talks to regular to people outside yeah. of the gang. Well, we're going to have to pay attention now. We are. I'm going to get my take my notebook out, take notes. <laughs> I'm going to take some Scooby snacks and come up with my own theory. <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, yes, actually, we will encourage all of you to take some Scooby snacks <laughs> and send us your theory. Yeah. Everyone get high as fuck, watch some Scooby-Doo, and then write about your experience. <laughs> Horsetalkhor at gmail.com. <laughs> all right. I kind of like this next one. The whole show takes place in purgatory. Like no exit? I wish I had a picture of Mindy's I was face. thinking the same thing. We need to have this on video because Mindy has no idea what's coming. Mindy just did like a, no, a I, head turn, like like mouth drop at the same time. I said like no exit, like the play. Like that, is that what they're trying to, because that was written by well, them, I think. What this person means um, is basically... They quote, it makes sense that everywhere the gang goes is creepy, abandoned, and riddled with questionable characters. It's because they're in purgatory. The good guys bounce up to heaven and the bad ones or the ones stuck on the fence are in limbo. This theory suggests that the gang were driving in the mystery machine when it crashed and they all died. Scooby was sent to them as a spirit guide, end quote. What? So basically, yeah, it's the wow. sixth sense ending. They're all actually dead. Well, but they all have the... <laughs> Let's see who it really was. And they're the ones like exposing the evil people. So maybe Man. they're all the angels. I'm expanding on this fan you, theory because I think this is really insane. So I'm just rolling with it. You I know, don't think that, I mean, it's fan theory, but I don't think that I ever got that out of Scooby Doo. No, I'm no, I definitely did not either. Right now, I'm leaning towards the gang is on the run. <laughs> that one seems to make the most sense. Right. I like Scooby being a product <clears throat> of like some undercover governmental USSR. Yeah. Some project. All right, well, before you guys pick one, oh wait, we still, have a few okay, more. Okay, okay. Scooby Doo exists in a universe where supernatural entities are real. While viewers may find it strange that entire villages of grown adults with fully staffed police forces are willing to believe <laughs> ghost goblins and ghouls are to blame for disturbances, one Tumblr fan theory explains the discrepancy. This theory posits that at one point, supernatural entities did exist in the Scooby-Doo world. This is why it's not wild for people of that universe to accept that paranormal entities are behind crimes, but why it almost always turns out to be a guy in a suit. I don't get it. Basically, I feel like they negated their own point. No, basically, like, once upon a time, supernatural entities were rampant. Like, oh, it was, oh, like, oh. ghosts and witches and goblins causing havoc, but maybe, like, over time, okay. that those things started to go to the wayside for some reason. And it's not out of, you know, the realm of reality that it could be a witch who's, you know, haunting an area when it's really someone in disguise trying to get some, like, gold in that area. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> These are crazy fan theories, maybe. Okay, okay. Don't, don't think about it too hard. All right, two more. The Mystery Inc. crew are in a cult. Mystery Inc. may very well be the Manson family. <laughs> According to Reddit user Radman, Rad with two Ds, the gang actually make up a secret cult. They drive around the country solving fake mysteries to rope people into their teachings. The mystery solvers are always dressed relatively conservative, 
even though 1969 was the height of the free love movement. It is, however, common for cults to wear old-fashioned clothes. They are also obsessed with the paranormal and set in their beliefs about paranormal entities. Drinky McIrish suggests... (laughs) This is going to be good. I feel like that should be Irish McDrinky, but okay. Drinky McIrish is great. It is, it is. (laughs) Shout out to Drinky McIrish. What up? Pour a Guinness out on the floor for you. All right. Suggest that Velma is the mastermind, though. She uses the handsome but not especially smart Fred Jones. Fred Jones? Jim Jones? Jonestown? What? 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 (laughs) She uses him as the front man for their charismatic leader. Shaggy is a stoner who do whatever for his Scooby Snacks, a.k.a. drugs. And Daphne just isn't that smart. She seems exactly like the kind of girl who'd fall for a cult leader because he's handsome and claims to love her. And those are Drinky McIrish's words, not mine. (laughs) I did not say she was dumb. Yeah. Huh. We have one final fan theory. Okay. So maybe this one will be more towards your liking, Mindy. Okay. How do you feel about this? Green Room is just a gritty... Scooby-Doo reboot. Shut up. Yes. The 2015 horror movie Green Room is about a band with a van that squares off against an evil old Nazi. The Scooby-Doo franchise is about a team that was supposed to be a band with a van that squares off against evil old men who could theoretically be Nazis. You do the math. Now I'm just sad because What's-His-Face is no longer with us. Oh, and Anton. Anton. Yeah. But no, I, I, I don't see that. I never once thought that while yeah. watching that movie. Um, I did the math, and clearly whoever came up with this and all the other fan theories. Was high. No. <laughs> they ate way too many Scooby Snacks. <laughs> all right. Well, let's end with some trivia. Yeah. Because I love trivia. All right. So Velma's... Famous line, my glasses. I can't see without my glasses. Um, This was not originally scripted for the show. During a table read for the voice artist, Velma's voiceover actress, Nicole Jaffe, apologies if I mispronounced your last name, and it's actually Jeff, Um, but she was nearsighted as well, and she lost her glasses and uttered a variation of what became Velma's famous catchphrase. The writers liked that line so much that Velma losing her glasses became one of the show's trademark gags. Thank you, show writers, because that, like, you stressed me the fuck out, even as a kid, because I'd be like, what if someone steps on him? She can't see. Oh, my God. Like, I'd freak out. <laughs> Thanks for my anxiety, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> wow. That explains so much, though. <laughs> Next little bit of trivia. Although this cartoon has rarely enjoyed critical favor, besides from moi, um, (laughs) one notable exception was the famous astronomer, astrophysicist, author, and researcher, Carl Sagan. Shut up! (laughs) Apparently, apparently he was a big Ruby Roo fan. (laughs) Why wouldn't he be? You want to hear his impersonation if he wasn't dead. Um, As someone who disapproved of the popular belief in various paranormal ideas, Sagan did approve of the series' skeptic tone of the heroes who usually expose supernatural claims as hoaxes. Wow. That seems like a very scientific approach to the show. Yeah. We're all made of star stuff. Don't you think, Shaggy? (laughs) (laughs) My God, it's full of Scooby Snacks. (laughs) Scooby snacks are made out of stars. All right. And my favorite and last bit of trivia. During production of the second season in 1970, Casey Kasem became a strict vegetarian, which I think they mean vegan, because I think I remember reading that he was vegan. Spencer Pedia looked that up. Yes, Um, boss. (laughs) And he wanted his character Shaggy to follow suit. Kaysom was promised by Hanna-Barbera that his character would become vegetarian from that point on. Hanna-Barbera actually kept their end of the bargain for the 1970-71 season of the show, which I have to rewatch because I remember him eating lots of meat 
and I also referenced earlier, he ate like pepperoni and sardines and anchovies. Um, so we're going to have to look for that too when we rewatch all these Spencer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it even says here, um, as long as one assumes that in Scooby-Doo, where are you? Haunted House Hang-Up from 1970. Shaggy's bologna slice is vegetarian bologna, which I don't think existed back then. Um, and that the pizza he eats in the final scene is vegetarian safe pizza. In subsequent spinoff series, however, Shaggy is routinely seen snacking on non-vegetarian foods. Kaysen put his foot down over the issue in 1995 after he was required to perform Shaggy's voice for commercial advertising Burger King Kids Club meals. No way. Mm -hmm. Kaysen refused to perform the voice after that and did not return to the role until What's New Scooby-Doo came out in 2002, which does use a question mark at the end of it. Good job. <laughs> um, with the requirement that, of course, Shaggy be a strict vegetarian in that series, which he was. And for the record, Shag's also a vegetarian in the live action Scooby-Doo from 2002, which is true because in that scene that I talked about earlier where they're in the van grilling, they were grilling eggplant. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I think it does say that he was a vegan and then he quit because of that Burger King commercial. And then he came back and then it says he was vegetarian at that point, I guess. So, yeah, cool. All right. Well, that is everything you've ever wanted to know about Scooby-Doo. And more. <laughs> and more. Actually, there was probably a lot more I could have said about it, but... That's awesome. Thank you, Sharon. You are welcome. And thank you all for listening to us. If you have your own Scooby-Doo fan theories, please write to us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com. You can tell us your ghost stories as well, any true crime stories, creepy stories, or about that one time you took too many drugs and your dog started talking to you and you ended up solving mysteries together, or whatever you would like us to read on our show. Please also subscribe to us, rate and review us. It does help us get more exposure. If you're able to, please join our Patreon and get early access to episodes, see exclusive posts, and maybe even get some cool shit. Maybe like Scooby Snacks, maybe not in the we mail. We will not send you drugs in the mail. Mindy, don't hint at that. Well, I didn't say Scooby Snacks or drugs. <laughs> We're not drug dealers. <laughs> For legal purposes, we'll just state, no, we're not drunk dealers. <laughs> um, as always, please be kind to each other, be safe, and more importantly, ranks for getting rippy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, oh my God.